0: That's heritageradionetwork.org/15 to donate and enter to win today, and make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: I'm HRN's executive director, Katie Mosman-Wadler, with a preview of the next episode of Meat and Three, our weekly food news roundup. The topic: restaurants and rules. Some rules are based on religion. This makes for an unusual scene in a Manhattan restaurant. A shy 20-year-old dictating the kitchen standards to a humble veteran chef. While other rules promote health and safety. But who are these feared rule keepers with the power to shut a restaurant down?
0: They're not really like food food lovers.
1: Some restaurant rules fall outside the domain of the kitchen. All civil rights issues have basically, uh, at one
0: point or another, revolved around the bathroom.
1: For more, tune in to this week's Meet and Three on Heritage Radio Network, available wherever you listen to podcasts. This program is brought to you by Joule, sous vide by Chef Steps. Jewel takes the guesswork out of cooking. Learn more at ChefSteps.com slash J O U L E.
2: Hello, welcome to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. We're coming to you live from Roberta's Restaurant in Bushwick, Brooklyn. It is Wednesday, December 5th, 2018. This is episode 199 of this series, which is dedicated to behind-the-scenes talents in the hospitality industry. Today, my guest is a premier sommelier and a savvy entrepreneur who's created a super cool wine spritz in a can, and I will introduce her fully in a moment. First, as I do in every show, I will start out with my PR tip and later we will have my speed round game, industry news discussion, solo dining experience, and the final question. As the founder of Bayer Public Relations, I'm going to tip the show off with my PR tip of the week. So today's tip is to seize the now. Don't put off until tomorrow what you can do today. If you have an idea or something you want to create, experience, or accomplish, take action. There is simply no better time than the present to follow your dreams and make them come true. So get out there and go for it. And when you're done with one mission, seize another. That's my tip today. Now, I'm thrilled to have my guest here with me in the studio. It is Jordan Salcito. She's the founder and CEO of Ramona, an organic Italian grapefruit wine spritzer. And she's the founder of Bellis Wines, and she's also the director of Wine Special Projects for David Chang's Momofuku Restaurants. Jordan began her career in New York as a hostess at WD50 before becoming a prep cook at Danielle and a sommelier and manager at Eleven Madison Park, and then eventually wine and beverage director for Momofuku. Among her accolades, she is a master sommelier, sommelier candidate, a wine enthusiast 40 under 40, and she was recognized As a 2018 James Beard Foundation semifinalist for Outstanding Wine Spirits or Beer Professional tied to her brand Ramona and one more her wine program at Momofuku has been named a James Beard Foundation semifinalist multiple times. And I could go on and on and on, but this is only a forty-five minute show.
3: <laughs> it is such an honor to be here. Thank you so much for having me here on all in the industry. Thank
2: you. I'm I'm thrilled to talk to you. I I'm so impressed with everything you've accomplished. I don't know how how you you do all this, uh, but we're going to get into it. So, how did you get into restaurants? Is that What what led you to to working at these fabulous restaurants?
3: Yes. Okay. So restaurants, since I was in high school, was always my sort of after after internship job that was fun and social and a little bit of extra cash. And that was really the way that I got into the industry without any intention of pursuing it as a career path. And I guess that started to change when I had the opportunity to work at WD50 as one of the opening hostesses, because Wiley Dufresne, for me, he was the person that he's just so intentional, so thoughtful, so cerebral, and the restaurant that he built, uh, WD50, was, first of all, it was the very first tasting menu that I ever had, was our opening staff. It was like the pre-opening staff educational tasting where I had never heard of pomelo. I had never had a cocoa nib. I had ne- like all these things mm-hmm. that that now are, are more commonplace. Wiley was just busting open everyone's eyes. Understanding of what sort of food could and should be, um, and working with him even in the capacity of a, of a hostess, I felt like this was this it was a new uh, take on an industry that I would that I had always um, sort of thought of as. A thing to do after my real job, um, and that and Wiley changed it. Um, and after after working at WD50, I felt like I wanted to write because that was a thing that I I had won some awards in, and I, I felt confident in. And therefore, you know, I wasn't willing to sort of think outside my own little box. But uh, I felt like, okay, I, I love restaurants and I like writing, so I'll write about restaurants. And this was before the blogs started to exist. And so I, I thought, okay, I'll go to culinary school so that I can know what I'm talking about, and I'll and I'll then I'll write, and I'll be this very informed person who spent a year in culinary school, um, and that was sort of the path to, it, yeah, that was that was the path. I, um, I got to work at Danielle as a kitchen stagiaire, and it was really at Danielle where I. Uh, my mind was opened to the possibilities of this, this sort of other aspect of the restaurant world which was which was wine Right, where did you go to cooking school? I went to Johnson and Wales. Oh, fabulous! I did it was um, they have this Garnish Your Degree program in I think at, at all of their campuses. So if you know it's sort mm-hmm. of your undergrad, then you can go and you take the you take all of the the liberal arts classes as well as the culinary. But if you have a liberal arts degree or any sort of other undergraduate degree, then you can do a one year condensed culinary program called Garnish Your Degree. You know it's.
2: My background or I, I is similar because I worked in restaurants, and I had a a love for them. And I lived in Chicago after college, and I, I looked at going to Johnson & Wales when I got the itch I wanted to go to cooking school. And I ended up going to a small cooking school in Chicago, and I then ended up getting a job at Charlie Trotter's as a server. Wow. And that was like grad school in the culinary arts, I felt. But... We had a, a, a weekly wine class that we took as servers, and it was such an education. And I found it, it, I learned a lot, but it didn't inspire me to move in the direction in the wine industry and, and, and want to become a sommelier. That wasn't my thing. And eventually I figured out my thing was becoming a, a publicist. But so what intrigued you to then get into wine?
3: All right. For me, I think it was a number of things um, that sort of all collided around the same time. One major factor was um, my grandfather, my paternal grandfather, whom I never met, uh, made wine in his basement. And that was the one memory that my own father, whose dad died when my dad was 13, that is the one memory that he shares and that I think he can actually recall because I think that was such a tumultuous time. He was the youngest of five. He loses his dad i by being told, on, apparently he was like called off the baseball field at Little League, and it was like, by the way, your your dad's your dad has passed away, and now it's you know, and then his life was forever changed. And the the one memory that he shares is making wine with his dad in his basement, and it was this, you know, I'm sure it was terrible wine, but well, it, who knows? But that's really cool. Well, <laughs> and they were, it was like you know, he they were part of the Italian immigrant community in Waterbury, uh-huh. Connecticut, and and that was yeah it was sort of the cre and i think that tied them back to their uh-huh. their roots in italy and so for my dad wine was a thing that gave him an identity that he liked and could be proud of in some sort of way Um, and therefore he always offered us tastes of wine when we were growing up and my dad now actually it was funny I was looking at Instagram (laughs) for Thanksgiving my littlest sister posts stuff on Instagram stories all the time and so I'm looking at their wines that they're drinking and it's like it's like Ganavat and Dangerville, and I'm like, "What are you drinking? You're drinking far better than I am." <laughs> <I'm just kidding. laughs> uh, but so my dad now now has you know, this this little collection going, I, a great collection going. But at the time, you know, it would be, it would just be sort of wine for the sake of wine, and um, and that was a thing that I found as a connection point to this sort of set of grandparents that I didn't have any actual relationship with. Um, And then, and then I also, I guess, I I guess it's connection, right? Like, the connection to this part of my family, but also this connection to uh, different industries and points of view. And I think that's, of course, food has that same, food has that same ability. But for me, there was like an intellectual element of wine that I found very challenging and fun and and that could really could really sink your your teeth into um, and I wanted to just continue to pursue it um, and I guess that continued until like through the kitchen at Danielle uh, which then led to the opportunity to work harvest No, well to work an event called the La Palais de Neige in Aspen in 2006, January 2006, and the La Palais is, of course, this uh, this event that Daniel Jonas had um, had ideated and dreamed up, and also sort of appropriated in a in the best way from. Uh, from Burgundy culture and it's this harvest party where um, where the spirit is potluck and all the winemakers bring wine and a dish and it's this wonderful raucous party in Marceau every year but but Danielle felt like it would be a good idea to bring it to the U.S. And the particular year that I got invited to cook was um, the year that they decided to make it very, very small and intimate, and it happened to be in Aspen, Colorado, and um, and so I was cooking alongside Danielle, and then the chef de cuisine of DB Bistro at the time, uh, whose name was Olivier, and who was dynamic and wonderful, um, and then. And then like seven of the great Burgundian winemakers of the time, who are still some of the great winemakers today. So it was Christophe Rumié, Jean-Marc Roulot, Alix de Monti, uh, Jean-Pierre de Smet, Dominique Lafon, and a couple others. And, um, and Danielle was the one who said, look, you are great and you really, you clearly have, you clearly love what you do and you love this industry, but it seems to me that you really love wine and you should pursue that. You should work harvest in Burgundy. That's what you should do next. And uh, so you did. So I did. Yes. And that was something that, uh uh-huh. That, that was a a great example, I think, of of Danielle. And I just need to sort of pay thanks to him here because it would be so easy for him to not have noticed or certainly not have made an overture or even that suggestion, which then just opened up this world of what was possible uh, for my imagination. And so the next day he said, okay, you know, you should just ask one of these winemakers, figure out which one you want to work with. And the worst that they can say is no, but I bet you someone's going to say yes. Um, So I asked Dominique Lafon initially and he said, thanks, but I choose my harvesters two years in advance. It's a very rigorous process. You should ask that guy over there, Jean-Pierre de Smet. I bet he'll say yes. Um, And I asked Jean-Pierre de Smet and his, it was actually his last year, at Domaine de L'Arlo. and little little known to me his it couldn't have been more perfect so um so he said yes I went out there in September of 2006 after the, I guess the the majority of that year I worked as a busboy and then a front waiter at Danielle and um and then Harvest came and it was completely life-changing um it was life-changing yeah I'm oh, sorry um, mm-hmm. because it was just sort of right then being, it was finally you know the, the sort of stories that you can't read in books are, are then all of a sudden part of the dinner table conversation and And the vineyards that you can read as much as you want about, but it's it's impossible to sort of feel how the light hits one vineyard differently than another until you're in the middle of that vineyard picking. Or you see that the bugs are different. Like the one vineyard had a whole bunch of these weird ladybug-like bugs, and then another vineyard was like... Open and sunny, and had like these beautiful praying mantises. And it was, and it's now every time I drink those wines, I think of being in the vineyard. And of course, you know, it was backbreaking and all that. But, um,
2: <laughs> but the way you're describing it, it's magical. It I'm is. like, it's, it's, you're selling it. I'm it like, is. I want to go, it I want to experience this. Oh, yeah. Gosh.
3: Yeah. It, it was also, it was good to hear, like, oh, you know, it's very hard work working in the vineyard. And oh, so, sure. Well, I, but like, everyone tries to sell you on how hard it is so mm-hmm. that you're not going to be able to do it. And then, of course, you just go in with this sort of mindset of, okay, great, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to do this and I'm going to prove everyone wrong and it doesn't, you know, right. I'm used to hard work. I'm typically lugging giant pots of stock around the kitchen or I'm well, polishing glassware for hours, you know, whatever yeah, it is. I, right. I think the restaurant industry uh, prepares us for whatever it is we decide it to does. do. does.
2: It is very physical and, and hard. What led you to Momofuku because you've been with the restaurant group now for a while. I I think your role has changed a little bit over the years.
3: Yes. Oh my goodness. Um, so that was, I mean, Dave is just so wonderful. And I guess I would say the the moment where, um, it, where I began working at Momofuku was the moment where I had just decided to no longer work in the restaurant industry. I thought, okay, I'm going to focus on Bellis. I'm really going to take some time away from restaurants. And, and I thought maybe I would go to business school or something like that. And, um, And so, but I had, I had agreed to work a dinner at Copan with Wells Guthrie. So Wells had invited my husband, Robert and I to select and pour wines at this dinner. Um, And we knew he was doing a chef dinner series and we knew the restaurant was Momofuku. um, But I, I had no expectation that Dave would be there. So it wasn't just, it just never occurred to me that he would be. And, uh, and we show up for this dinner and we're about to select the wines. And then out of the kitchen comes Dave. And uh, and he's just so, you know, he's just yeah. so great at, at conversation. And he says, okay, so what is it that you're doing now? What are you doing these days? I said, oh, actually, I've just decided to take a break from the restaurants. I'm going to focus on my wine company. It's going to be great, blah, blah, blah. And he says, that's cool. Uh, I'm actually looking for somebody to... to to oversee my, my programs at the restaurants. Um, I see now that there's this wine community that is similar and just as engaged as the chef community. And we're not part of that conversation. And I want to be, do you think you can help? Uh, and that was how the conversation started. So we then continued to have several conversations. I was out in California and I sort of, sort of at that point I was so sure that I was not going to get into the restaurant industry that, uh, or back into the restaurant industry that I, it was, it was a great place to start a conversation and, and it ended up working out wonderfully. And I, I sort of said, okay, these are things that are important to me. And, uh, is that possible if I join this team? And he said, and he said yes to everything. Um, and my challenge my mandate was to, to make sure that we were doing compelling things with the program, to have fun with it, to understand the rules, break them when we felt like they needed to be broken, um, and to help build a, a culture of wine and at Momofuku, and to and to build the association between wine and the restaurants.
2: What year was this around, what you started with them? Yeah,
3: so that was, we started conversations in, I think it was December of 2012, which is now six years ago. And then my first day, by the time sort of all of our conversations had happened, and I think I had a trip to France that I had already planned, uh, but I started mid-February of 2013. Oh, wow. And
2: so before, after the harvest, and for that, you were working in restaurants on the floor... And oh, you yeah. just reached the point where you were,
3: yeah, I felt, ready for yeah the next thing exactly. And I felt like you know I'd worked at all these restaurants that I think for for me I'd worked at a bunch of different restaurants in the dining room and with with wine. My first wine role as a sommelier was at Nick and Tony's, and it was a summer position, um, and that was so wonderful because Bonnie Munch and the G, she was the GM at the time she really gave me a lot of freedom and she said, okay, you know, I'm taking a risk on you, but I'm happy to do that. And I know that you're going to work really hard. And I know you're going to be great with the guests because I can tell that you care. And so I felt like my job for that particular role was to care immensely and to have a maniacal focus on the guest and to learn as much as I could about wine as quickly as possible so that I didn't embarrass her or the restaurant. And that role led to the opportunity to interview at Union Square Hospitality Group because it was a, a guest who came in. He came in every Friday night. His name was Josie. He came in every Friday. He would bring a bottle of um, California Chardonnay and a bottle of Bordeaux, or sometimes they were magnums, and I would and I would open them and we would chat. And at some point he said, what are you doing after this? And I said, oh, I'm going to work uh, at, I'm going to work Harvest in Merceau. And he said, "That's not a real job. <laughs> what, are you, what are you actually going <laughs> to do?" Come on, it is. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, "I know, I know that's going to be exciting, but that's not that's not a long term strategy." Um, and he was the one who said, "You need to interview with my friend, who is one of the owners of Union Square Hospitality Group." Um, so, so after Harvest, I did, and I, I uh, then that led to the opportunity to stage at the at Eleven Madison Park, which was the restaurant in that empire at the time that that right. was so insp- mm-hmm. it was sort of the most inspiring and exciting of all the restaurants that uh that were part of that restaurant group and it was um a brand new chef an unknown Daniel whom at the time had just taken over and uh this brand new um, general manager Will Guidara had just assumed the GM role and and it was a super exciting time. John Reagan was the wine director. And it was another one of those things where I feel like I, I respond really well to people telling me that a role is going to be really, really hard and a whole bunch of work. Because that's, right, anything in life that's great is, is, is starts that way. And so... Uh, yeah I guess it all went back to like my my junior year high school English teacher and everyone Mrs. Herring she was so hard and people would complain about her all the time and she was brilliant and she just pushed people to be better and as a result they they were Um, so anyway so 11 Madison John says hey you know these are our goals and are you on board it's going to be a really hard road ahead but if you are open to a lot of work then you know Please join our team, and that was an incredible education. Uh, I guess that was two thousand seven. We ended up winning the James Beard Award the following spring for outstanding wine service, and it was John who really, uh, who really encouraged the structure of the Master Sommelier exam. So he is now a Master Sommelier, but I think at the time he was just starting to take that that exam. And uh, um, and he would put together tasting groups and he was very organized and he really had this amazing platform uh, where he was an incredible mentor. he was very difficult uh, by by sort of reputation. He's he's difficult to work for because he has such high expectations. And I think as a young sommelier starting out, there was no better way and it was not an easy way, but it was so valuable. Uh, to learn from him because he cared so much about the guest and he cared so much about wine Mm -hmm. in general. And he cared so much about, um, in fact, it was, he was the first person I think who really ever said, you know, confidence comes from knowledge. So you have to have knowledge. (laughs) The sort of confidence for the sake of confidence doesn't work on a, in a Michelin, you know, we're going for Michelin three stars. We're going for New York Times four stars. Right. That is where confidence comes from. And that was so obvious. So like once he said it, but um, (laughs) anyway, that was, that was the sort of beginning.
2: I'm so, so many great tips, so many amazing restaurants. It's, uh, it's incredible. Uh, we could go on and on with, with, with stories and background, but we're going to take a little break and then we're going to talk a little more. We'll get into these businesses that you've started all, uh, which is incredible. So stay with us. This is only industry on heritage radio network.
1: This program is brought to you by Joule Sous Vide. My name is Katie Mosman-Wadler. I'm the executive director of HRN and a real life Joule user. When you cook with Joule, there's zero guesswork. So steak, chicken, seafood, turkey, vegetables, and eggs all come out exactly the way you like them. The Parrot app is intuitive to use and preloaded with all the recipes you'll need. And it has a great visual doneness guide. Joule is awesome for holiday cooking. It's easy to cook for a crowd, and it's perfectly precise, so you can focus on entertaining without worrying about checking food temps, while Joule does all the work. You can try out new cuts fearlessly. One of the best things I ever made sous vide was a juicy, tender heritage goose with juniper berries, and it was life-changing. And pro tip, Joule is small and packs easily, so you can sneak it along on your holiday travels to be this season's food hero everywhere you go. With Joule, you get perfect food every time. To get yours, visit chefsteps.com slash jewel and use code HRN as in Heritage Radio Network to get $15 off for a limited time. That's chefsteps.com slash J-O-U-L-E code HRN. And happy holidays from all of us at Team HRN.
2: To all in the industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Baer. My guest today is Jordan Salcito. She is the founder of Ramona and Bellis Wines and the director of Wine Special Projects at Momofuku. So let's talk about being the founder of these companies. How did you 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 talked on it you mentioned a little earlier about how you had wanted to leave the restaurant, working the floor, working in restaurants, and start Bellas Wines. So so what, how did that come about?
3: I mean, okay. creating, creating your own
2: company. Yes,
3: it's funny. And I, so I guess with Bellis, I felt like on the floor at, at 11 Madison every night, I was opening these beautiful wines and then friends would come in or they would ask my opinion. They would say, oh, you know, what's a great, what's a great region and what are some great producers? And, and whenever you're sort of talking about wines that were great or wines that they had tried because, you know, we would enjoy a bottle of them together somewhere. They just weren't available. And it, it was actually, I think this was back in when Bellis was, we, finally, we launched in 2011, but the idea for Bellis really became pretty clear in 2010. And at that time, there was not the same kind of, in, at least in my experience, great wines that were excessively priced. It was sort of like there were there were the you know, industrially made, accessible uh, affordable wines that did not resonate with my value system. And then there were the great wines of the world, which were incredibly expensive and also hard to find. And I just felt like there was, especially in Italy, a a region where, so after harvests in Italy or France, I I started working in Italy as well in 2008 and 9 and and 10 and 11 and just sort of realized that there was this this same uh, high quality terroir, the same beautiful devotion to organic farming methods but the infrastructure was not there so instead you had you have these winemakers who are family you know running these small family run domains, making beautiful wines and then selling them to a co-op uh and i just felt like there would be a way of if i if we found a, a winemaker partner who was aligned with our values rather than we, we could actually incentivize them to to make sure that they were growing them thoughtfully with the sort of the same value system that we wanted them to use but also we could work together to create a wine that uh, we wanted to drink sell it bring it to the us uh, donate a percentage of proceeds to different organizations that we wanted to support Um, and then on the back of every label was a a palette table so almost like a consumer reports chart with different circles, so sort of like four out of five circles for acidity or tannin or uh, structure or complexity or minerality, all these things that um, at the time were were very nebulous or at least not sort of categorized in a way that the consumer was meant to understand even though i had access to that information that language through my work as a sommelier and i just felt like there was an opportunity to sort of bring value to consumers who wanted to drink well while also giving back to the community and also supporting these small uh, farmers in italy who were worried about whether or not they were going right, to be able to sell right. their grapes or not
2: that's fabulous and then you had another idea The the alter ego, possibly, to all this fine wine. You came up with Ramona, which, uh, you know, we have it here. I think your branding and your packaging is is brilliant. I love it.
3: So how did you come up with Ramona? Oh, my goodness. So Ramona, the idea for Ramona was born... The week that I did not pass the Master Sommelier exam, which was also this sort of when I when I had so much in my mind, this was the the week that I would pass if I could, and I knew the actually the part that I was very nervous about. So I'd already passed the blind tasting exam, and this exam is. I'm sure all your listeners know this, but just in case... Yeah, no, no, go ahead. Well, it's just you that you get three chances to pass the three parts of this exam. And in order to have the ability to take this exam, you first must pass the first three exams... And then ten percent of the people who pass the third exam, the hard the sort of the next hardest is called the advanced exam. And ten percent of the people who pass that get invited to take the MS. You wait a year and then you get this invitation and you have to get yourself to Aspen and it's and then you and then you your your sort of clock starts ticking. So you then have three years to pass these three parts. And what I've learned Everyone thinks they're going to crude cup it, which is where you pass it all in in one try. But it's extremely hard. Um, it's, <coughs> from what from what I
2: know, it seems extremely hard and and you study uh, I mean, the studying the amount of devotion and time you put into it is is tremendous. Yes. and it's 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 it just seems like like almost impossible, but it's not because you can you can achieve it.
3: Yeah. And, and, and people have. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're going through a sort of PR setback right now because right. of the... Cheating the we, blind tasting cheating. We talked about that on a previous Indeed. show of mine. Yeah, Interesting. Yeah, but it
2: was the big industry news of the week. It was so we it, did? It yeah.
3: really was. Well, and and I think you know for me the process of that exam was very valuable. But the particular year this was 2015, um, our program at Co, which you know we I was it's it was such an amazing privilege to have the opportunity to build that list, and it's so fun. In fact, I was just there earlier today and. It's it's fun to look back at that program and be like, all right, we set we set this in motion. We built a program that uh, that we're that we're still proud of today. Um, that that's pretty cool. But um, but as far as that that particular exam, I'd already passed the blowing tasting in the previous attempt. I passed nothing the second attempt. And the the part that I was extremely nervous about, I guess both of them, but really the theory exam, which is where you, you know for one hour straight and you get asked anything, in particular, this like minutia involving wine law. So like it, it, whatever, I mean, people can find it, sample exams online. and uh, but that that was the part that just requires so much memorization and so much studying. and and the the service, of course, I was studying as well, and it's it's like a service obstacle course. It's not like real service, but I was also on the floor every night at service. We had just gotten this James Beard semifinalist award for service at Co mentors of mine were coming into the program saying this is the greatest service experience I've had anywhere in the country all year and and so I knew that I was sort of in my element just because when you're doing something every night right. for a year straight you 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 get into a groove and I ended up not passing that exam by one by a few points on one table it was the champagne table um, and it was a, a you know, you, you know when you f- you flub something, and you know you flub something, or when you when you know you're in your groove. And I was in my groove. So when I found out that I didn't pass, I I immediately thought it was theory. I was like, oh no, I flubbed theory, wasn't it? And they were like, no, theory, you passed with you. You had a strong pass with flying colors. It was actually service, and I was like. Like someone gut punched me. I was like wow. service. What do you mean? They said, Oh, you know, it was actually the champagne table, and it was somebody from the champagne table who was giving me feedback. A woman, and I said, It was the champagne table. Excuse me. Can you go into that further? And she was like, Yeah, you know, we just didn't feel like you seemed like yourself, and it was so strange to hear that feedback. And now, I now I have distance, so I can sort of think about it outside of a vacuum. But um, and none of those similes have ever seen me work the floor, and uh, I
2: have seen you work the floor and you're fantastic uh,
3: it was just funny <laughs> thank you and it was yes.
2: just, you really are you have a presence I mean I've dined several times at restaurants you've worked at
3: thank and you. and seen you work so I I Aww, you passed for me oh, with service thank you well it was just funny because it wasn't like I wanted or needed their validation from service and especially on a right. on a time where I knew that I had prepared and I didn't run out of time. And so it was sort of like, okay, that's the feedback. I got failed by a people who have never seen me working the floor for not seeming like myself in a context which it was just, it was, it was so tough to swallow. Uh, But it was the best thing that ever happened because it led to the freedom to then sort of reassess the direction that I was going and that I wanted to go and also to sort of rebel in my own way and that that for me was sort of addressing what I had what I felt was a very obvious void and that void was Something high integrity, something that tasted that I felt tasted delicious, and something that was organic, but fun and and a little bit irreverent, and uh, and that became Ramona. So Ramona is named after my littlest sister's alter ego. Um, I really I find it had sort of been an idea after this exam, but oh, the other part is right after the exam, like within a matter of days, I learned that I was pregnant with our son Henry which was definitely not the sort of order of operations that right. I had that I had anticipated and it ended up being terrifying in the moment but once once I got over that sort of fear, I mean, at some point, it's just sort of like you just, there's nothing you can do to change the right. timeline of that. It is what it but is. It's nine months and then <laughs> or less. You better hope it's nine months. Um, and so, so that, was, that was sort of the, the push that I needed to rethink what I wanted to do and say. And, uh, and over maternity leave, I had the chance to actually focus on, on exploring Ramona. And fast forward, I guess about nine months later, and then we, no pun yeah, exactly, <laughs> we had a test batch, and that was, and and it and it did well. I mean, it was. I know how hard it is to sell wine as somebody who sold it on the floor, and of course with Bellis, and it's one one should never take for granted that that something will sell, and so with canning. We made a test batch and I felt like it would be way too big and that how would we ever sell this? And uh, and then, uh, of course, we launched at Labor Day, which is the wrong time. In my mind, we should have launched in summer, but, you know, everything always takes longer. And then uh, before the first day of summer, we had completely sold out. And, uh, and then... We finally, yeah. we, we right. shift production, we sort of moved a few things, and then we, we really, like, sort of, exact. we actually launched October 2017, about a year ago, and six weeks after we had a uh, product here in the U.S., we found out we were going to be part of the Whole Foods global program nationally.
2: Wow. Well, it's incredible, and and yeah, it's, it's I mean, you can't miss it. Ramona, the branding's <laughs> fantastic. So... Okay, we're a little short on time, but I have because we did a little rescheduling. I have two questions from past guests, and I wanna I want to get through them. So let's see if we can do these fairly fairly quickly, even though I don't know if we're going to. <laughs> okay, so question from a guest on one an on episode one ninety one. I had on Sarah Moulton. She's a chef, cookbook author, TV personality. She's amazing. She wants to know what is the it wine right
3: now. Oh, the it wine right now is. Not how I think about wine. Okay. Because, Done. because, <laughs> no, be, but I, I be, yeah, it's just not how I think about wine because, because wine, it's sort of like the it anything is so subjective. And so I think for me, the thing that's so beautiful about wine is that you evolve with it. And it's this journey, it really is a journey. I know that sounds so cliche, but it's like like so many, I remember the first wine I really got excited about was some random Argentinian Malbec. And, and now that's not really the sort of style that I gravitate towards, but it was so perfect for me when I discovered it, which then led me to become more curious about all sorts of wine. So I think, you know, in the same way that many people start by collecting Napa Cabernet, and then they realize they actually love Bordeaux, and then they actually realize they love Burgundy, and then that opens up their world, and now they only drink German Riesling. You know, so I think wine for me is a journey, and it's really like where do you where do you start your journey, and start where you are, start with whatever is exciting for you right now. I and mean, we just echo. And we're tasting Ferme de la Sainte Sannieure, uh, La Lune, and we tried the Enfora and the non-Enfora bottle, and those are like you know hot wines, I guess. Or like Clougeard is a hot wine, or Chav Chav Rouge, Chave Hermitage Rouge, or Chave, Chavermite Hermitage Blanc is a hot wine. Or but like, but I think that's also Chave is a hot wine, but Chav has been around since literally 1481, and so it's like I think it's so it's so much about where you are in your journey and what's exciting to you now and what you're connecting with and then be expected to evolve. I love it. Okay.
2: Question for my guest on episode 198. I had on Jeff Gordonier. He's the food and drinks editor for Esquire. He wants to know what can American restaurants do better now? I
3: loved this question. Okay. So here's how I think about that question. I was thinking about it and I think that American diners are the ones who should know more about how American restaurants work as well as the challenges that American restaurants face so that we can all have better restaurants. And one of the things that I think from the wine side that you hear a lot, is like, oh, you know, this wine, I can get it at half price at the retail store. And it's like, yeah, you can, you totally can, but do you like going to restaurants? Because if you do like going to restaurants, the the rent of restaurants, you know, it's, it's, I mean, I, I love that question because I think it's such an, an amazing conversation that um, that I wish more people knew how many barriers are in place to open a restaurant and then to keep a restaurant full of talented, hardworking people to motivate them to, you know, now with the raising the raised minimum wage, people could make more probably as an Uber driver. So do we do we want a whole bunch more Uber drivers in the street or do we want more professionals in great restaurants serving incredible food and incredible wine with the best glassware and a whole bunch of knowledge uh, to go along with it?
2: I agree. Okay, one more break here and we're going to come back. We're going to play my speedrun game and talk some industry news. Stay with us. This is all in the industry on Heritage Radio Network. Cool. Back to all in the industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guest today is Jordan Salcito. It's time for my speed round game. So what this is is I name a few things and you pick your preference, such as chocolate or vanilla. Oh, okay. So uh, we'll see if we can we can go fast through this. Uh, how about we'll start out with eat in or eat out?
3: Ooh, both. It's been said before. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. I mean, some days all I want to do is eat in, and then there's nothing better than going out with your friends or out on a date or, you know, both. 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 Just eat. Just eat. Wine, beer, cocktail, or mocktail? Wine, cocktail.
2: Love it. (gasps) Tasting menu or a la carte? A la carte. Small plates or large plates? Small plates. Communal table or chef's counter? Chef's counter. Tipping or
3: all-inclusive charge? Mm. Mmm. All-inclusive. And if you think they did a great job, extra tipping. Oh, I like that. Red,
2: white, rosé, or natural? Sparkling. Is that an option? Or sparkling. I'll go sparkling. Okay. (laughs) A lot of varieties. So Momofuku's large format... Bosam, duck, brisket, or dried aged ribeye, and there was also a fried chicken I once had. So any of
3: those, (laughs) I love this question. For me, duck (laughs) all the time. Okay. Yep.
2: Yeah. But they're
3: all amazing. They really are. I'm so due
2: to have have one of these again. They're so good. Okay. Two more. Cheese plate or dessert? Dessert. For some reason, I thought you were going to say cheese plate (laughs) because it was like wine (laughs) with cheese. But okay. Dessert. Last one's Manhattan or Brooklyn?
3: Manhattan, I guess. Good question. I said Manhattan. They're both great. They're both great. Depends okay. on the mood. Let's go Manhattan. Okay, fantastic. Yep. Um, oh, as a cocktail or as a place? That's been said,
2: be- asked before too, a couple times, and I've, I'm meaning um, the
3: the neighborhoods. Or, oh God. Okay, but, well, but, then but, I have to say Manhattan too. But I this do can be this. interpreted. <laughs> This or were you thinking drinks? I was. Oh, fantastic! I was was in a drink mindset. But let's go. But neighborhood, I definitely have to say, I love Brooklyn. I love Brooklyn, and I love what I learn, and I love being in Brooklyn. I love the scene that's here. I I live in Manhattan, and I
2: I mean, I guess, I guess, yes, I guess it makes sense that you thought I was talking about drinks. But that's awesome. Okay, so industry news big announcement last week. So the Michelin ratings came out for the Bay Area and Dominique Crenn got a third Michelin star for for her restaurant Atelier Crenn and she's the first uh woman woman in America to receive three Michelin stars. It's so awesome. It really is awesome. I know she's she's been she's been working hard and and it's been you know, people look at that list and 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 it, you know, I haven't been to Atelier Cren, but I've heard it's fabulous and uh, kind of like wanting it, waiting for it, seeing if it'll happen. And it happened.
3: It's amazing. That and then also Bar Kren, where I had the opportunity to work. It was an event uh, surrounding La Palais, um earlier this spring and her eye is so incredible in fact she was cooking and then when she wasn't cooking she was out in the dining room of course talking with guests but also snapping photographs so she is this incredible photographer and you can just tell I mean her eye uh and the precision and the discipline uh, that she clearly applies to herself and to every decision that she makes is so inspiring and such a wonderful example yeah, I I've been to and and Jeff uh, Gordonier
2: put Bar Cran on his Esquire best restaurant list this this that, that, that just came out. Love that. I haven't been there, but I did have lunch uh, about two years ago at Petit Cran, okay. and it was lovely. Mm-hmm. And the other restaurant that now has three Michelin stars is Single Thread, which is up in Healdsburg, and I have dined there. And this is uh, Chef Kyle. Connaughton and his wife, Katina, uh, runs a friend of the house, and it's outstanding, and I was really happy to see that they in those three Michelin stars, too.
3: I am so happy about that. I um, have not been, and I would love to hear ab- about your experience. Um, Kyle and I overlapped briefly at Momofuku. He was a he was sort of um, helping advise when I came on board. And oh, I didn't
2: know that. Uh,
3: he's just incredible, and and I love his example as well. It's it's just it's so wonderful to see that um, he and Katina and their team are being recognized, and and good for them for really setting such an ambitious vision and then making it happen. And he his, I think he's for, He's in his forties, and he mm-hmm. uh, has this wealth of experience from cooking in Japan, but of course from all of his restaurant experience. And he is such a phenomenal person. He's just kind and thoughtful. I remember I asked him a sake question once because he he sent a he referenced the sake, and I I sent him a, a follow up question, and he replied immediately with this wealth of information about about the producers and also where to buy it and it just he's so dedicated to um to to educating and to mentoring and to to excellence and he's wonderful as a person. Yeah, they're the super way. nice.
2: I met them at the Roots conference in Ohio a couple of years ago. So cool. And that's where we met and then they they were working on they've been working on this restaurant mm-hmm. for a long time. Like it was like you know, they had the idea and like live in the dream and or to create it, and uh, it's 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 really it's special.
3: It looks like nothing I've ever seen from the website only, but I mean it's almost like a Blackberry Farm level of ambition, but in Healdsburg. Yeah,
2: okay, that's a good way to describe it. Okay. I mean, when you when you. When you get there, they take you up to the roof, and you have a drink and a little snack up there. Then they bring you downstairs, and it's 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 a beautiful space. And yeah, it's I think it's deserving. It's so wonderful. <laughs> so, um, and uh, we have a little. Well, I don't know. We have a, I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about this the Daily Beast article that came out that you interviewed Bobby Stuckey and it's entitled "Our Great Sommeliers and Endangered." species. So, how did how did this piece come
3: about? Okay. Uh, this piece came about, I was in Los Angeles for BevCon in August and Bobby uh, was actually he was actually working the floor at um, at Republique and he brought over a wine um, to try and we started talking about it and, and sort of this conversation just sort of started up as a side conversation and um, and and then along the same time frame realized that we were being asked to, to contribute to the Daily Beast and, and I proposed this conversation and entire format is just sort of like yeah just a conversation and sort of see where it goes um and Bobby is somebody who is so committed to guest experience And I remember when he moved to Colorado and when Frosca opened and it was just game-changing for the entire state nobody had heard of a master sommelier outside of Aspen but Aspen is a different mm-hmm. different than sort of the Denver Boulder area and um and he just he just cares about guests having a great experience he cares about he just he loves wine and he loves our industry and so it's it's funny that the reaction i think um, has been it has been in the, the, the there there have been so many different sort of Pieces of reactions, but mm-hmm. I think the most of the thing that I hear is from people either DMing me or uh, sending me emails saying thank you for writing this. We've wanted to see this and, and hear about it for a long time. And um, but I think it's it's really you know at the end of the day, it's it's celebrating, um, you know, just having a commitment to being great at, at whatever it is that you choose to do. And I think that that is um, the thing that that Bobby was was just articulating as a form of you know loving this industry and wanting it to continue to be um something that people invest you know their time uh into um into exploring and and really become um experts in whatever it is they choose to do I don't think it necessarily needs to apply to the the restaurant industry
2: yeah it's a great it's a great interview it's a great read and I, I got a sense of that and I, I've never dined at Froscoub but I've met him at events I've seen him speak at conferences and I've always been impressed with him and his whole his whole philosophy and everything that he believes in so um, I thought it was I thought it was a great article. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Let's take one more break we're gonna come back. we'll have my solo dining experience and then we'll have the final question. This is all in the industry on Heritage Radio Network. Thank you. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer, and it's time for my solo dining experience. So this week, it's at Momofuku Noodle Bar at Columbus Circle. Here's the rundown The location, the third floor of the shops at Columbus Circle, Time Warner Center, New York City. The concept, constantly changing roster of noodles, steamed bread, soft serve, and daily dishes. The owner chef David Chang and the executive chef Tony Kim so why did I go Because I was super excited that Momofuku now is in my neighborhood because I live by Columbus Circle so my experience last weekend early on Saturday night I arrived to see what the situation was no I did not have a reservation and you know the beauty of being solo is I was able to get a seat right away at the chef's counter area. There was seemed to be there was a wait for larger parties, but that's that's a cool thing about going solo. You can get in, and there is a large chef's counter area and also a cocktail bar area, so it is good for soloists. Uh, my server was great. She guided me through the menu. There is a paper menu that you check off what you want to have, and I did so, and uh, I had a great time. I chatted with one of the chefs during my meal. It was it was really great. So what did I get? It's very hard to decide. I went with the seared shrimp bread, which is hand-rolled and steamed. It had spicy mayo and pickled onion, and there were two pieces, and then I also had the garlic chicken ramen with yu choy, garlic, and momofuku barley noodles. So my take, shrimp rolls were delicious, I ate one, took the other to go, it was more than I can eat, with the chicken ramen, which I had to get, because when you're sitting at the chef's counter, you see the spit-roasted chicken just right in front of you, and sort of like, it just calls your name, that you have to order this, because that chicken goes into the ramen, and it was delicious. So the ambiance—it's a stylish, modern diner. I would say it's got light woods and large booths. And as I said before, it has two large bar places with the chef's counter and the cocktail area. Uh, so there's a lot of seating options. I'd say it's perfect for large group or soloists. Interesting tidbit: so the original Noodle Bar debuted in 2004 in the East Village, and this is the second branch in Manhattan. And, you know, since then, Chang's, David Chang's pork buns have been replicated around the world. So he's really up the game and he's making his buns in-house. They're hand-rolled and steamed and they're fabulous. Perfe- uh, personal fun fact. So I recently also tried its neighboring restaurant, Bang Bar, which I went to on the weekend on a Saturday. And I went for breakfast late and then I was enjoying breakfast and I saw the lunch line was starting to to happen and I was like you know what I'm going to get lunch and take it to go and not and and be able to experience all of this so I did that so I've now I've now had the bang bar for breakfast and lunch and it is it's all terrific and I would say go on the weekend because the line is is a little less or just get there early and you'll be fine the cost $30, $30, not including tax and gratuity, would I go back? Yes, I really want to try these fried blue prawns that are on the menu, which I resisted getting because I was over-ordering as is, but I'm going to go back. Their website is momofukunoodlebar.com. There I'm you have so it. so hungry now. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. It's, you know, it's exciting to have Momofuku Noodle Bar in Time Warner. You know, in in this, it's you know, I always feel my neighborhood needs more accessible restaurants and delicious restaurants. I mean, we have we have a lot of high end dining in the neighborhood, but, you know, places that you can just go into and get a, a delicious
3: bowl of ramen. Totally. When you're not looking for a four hour experience.
2: Right. Yeah. Which, which so is awesome. also, you know, I love that, but not 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 every day. <laughs> OK, so it's time for the final question. So my next guest And it's going to be my episode 200, my 200th episode, which is hard to believe, is going to be Carla Hall. And she is most people probably know, but she's a chef, restaurateur, cookbook author and TV personality. So, Jordan,
3: what would you like to ask Carla? Of course. Carla, you recently released a beautiful book, Carla Hall's Soul Food, Every Day in Celebration. Congrats. And I'm wondering, what is one thing about soul food food that you wish more people knew? And how does soul food go mainstream and break through regional barriers?
2: Wow, that's a great question. That's why I ask my guests to ask questions to my my
3: my next guest. It helps me out. <laughs> oh, I love that you do that. It's such a fun way to connect episodes. Well, thank you. I I wish we had another
2: hour or two to talk more here on air, but um, I'm I'm in awe of everything you've done, and I just think you're you're just a sweetheart, and you're just you're and you're, you know, my tip came from thinking about you. Like, I feel like you, you come, you have ideas and then you just make them happen. So congratulations on all of your success and everything. Thank
3: you, and right back at you, because you are such an important voice for our industry, and you are constantly at the heart of so many important conversations, and thank you for moving our industry forward.
2: oh so sweet. Thank you. One more thing I saw. Charity Buzz on our Heritage Radio Network. Uh, we have uh, this, uh, we have a, that you can bid on experiences, and you have your wine-tasting Experience on Charity Buzz that people can bid for, and the proceeds go to Heritage Radio Network. Yes, and it goes till tomorrow.
3: Yes, it goes till tomorrow. So if you like wine, then you should totally come and have a wine tasting, and uh, we'll go to Legacy. We'll we'll drink some some fun bottles and. Um, and we definitely I'm very happy and feel privileged to be able to support Heritage and all that you are doing on behalf of our industry so thank you so much thank you to Heritage thank you, thank you for
2: for being a part of it it's it's a great it's a great deal, it's a great offer it's it's something you should bid on so uh, go to Heritage Radio Network and uh, find out more So my guest today has been Jordan Salcito. She is a sommelier and the founder and CEO of Ramona. She's the founder of Bellis Wines, and she's the director of wine and special projects at Momofuku. Her website's drinkramona.com and momofuku.com, and you can follow her on social at Jordan Salcito and drinkramona. You can follow me at Sherry Bayer at Bayer PR at all industry. My Facebook page is all in the industry. Websites Bayerpublicrelations.com and Sherry Bayer.com. You can find all of our archive shows on heritage radio org. We are also on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. Thanks to Jordan. It's been a real pleasure having you on my show and thanks to our team of Gia and Kate and thanks to my engineer, Noam. I'm Sherry Bayer. So next week, my show is we're not going to do a show next week. We're going to be off, but then on December 19th, which is a Wednesday at 4 o'clock, it's going to be my 200th episode with Carla Hall, so I hope you'll tune in then. Thank you for being part of All in the Industry. Bye. Yeah,
0: my-